anyone ever felt defeated? I'm the only one. Has anybody? Yeah. We all have, you know. And I'm I'm standing here listening to these uh, songs that we're doing this morning, and <clears throat> it just keeps rolling up in me that that God is for us. He's not against us. He is for us. <clears throat> and and every one of us have felt defeated. Every one of us have felt uh, not worthy, not valued. We've all felt those things. But I want to tell you something today that you probably already know, but we need to hear it time and time again to know that God is good. Amen. Yeah. And that the devil is a liar. Yeah. Because when we feel defeated, we feel like that the devil has got more power than what we have. And I want to tell you something. The devil ain't no big, muscular being with horns and a forked tail. You know, that's, that's the way Bugs Bunny saw it. And we ain't Bugs Bunny. I want to tell you something. The devil is a weenie. Oh, pastor, don't you say that about you know what he can do? He can't do near what my God has done. God is on your side. Because here, here's the deal. Whenever the devil tries to come at you, it is, it is a challenge that he's taking out. I, I, I commend his fortitude. But the fact of the matter is, he's three to one. He's three to one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit has already defeated the devil, and he's still trying to come back in as this one. You know? And then, and then whenever the devil tried to exert himself above God in the Bible... It says that he fell, God cast him out, the left foot of fellowship, right out of the heavenlies, and he took a third of the angels with him. There you go again. It's three to one. There are more of God than there is of the devil. So let me tell you something. If you feel defeated, if you feel down, you feel depressed, you feel in debt, you feel all these things. I tried to start them all with a D. But if you're feeling these things, I want you to know something. The devil is defeated. Defeated. So Father, I thank you for each and every person that's here. Father, as we have all felt defeated, we say that today that the devil is defeated. God is on the throne. Satan is a liar. And Jesus is the truth. So, Father, I thank you for each and every person that's here today. And, and God, I thank you for each and every person that's watching online and listening online. Father, I thank you that even though we may feel defeated, we are not defeated because God is on the throne. Jesus is Lord. And Holy Spirit is our guide. And we thank you, Father, for giving us, for, for, for giving us your wonderful, wonderful spirit. 
So, Father, we thank you for the, what's going on in this house today. I thank you that there are healings. There are deliverances. God, I thank you there are salvations. There are things that are happening among us. Father, you are shifting our minds. You're shifting our thinking. And, God, I thank you that we flow in the shift of what you've got instead of the other crud that the devil's got. And so, God, we thank you. We praise you for what you're going to do in this house today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, how y'all doing this morning? All right. Well, turn around and tell somebody. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? All right. Are all the kids back in school? Are y'all happy that they are? <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's been a good summer, hasn't it? Wow. Man, are y'all just fellowshipping up a storm? That's good. That's good. You know, I, I go to the gym three times a week, or I, I try to go to the gym three times a week. And, um, you know, I, I never go with the intention of sweating. Because, you know, you start working out, sweat happens, right? That's what I love about church, is that you, you don't come to church just for fellowship. But when you get to church, fellowship happens. And when, and when that happens, family begins to be formed. And I love what Kelsey said earlier. Uh, family, this is a time of family. This is a place of family. This is not just a place to go to church and, and um, see somebody once a week. It's, it's a time for family. And so I appreciate you guys so much for just loving on one another. And, and uh, man, I, I wish I could, I could love on every one of you individually, but um, that's what the people around you are for. So to extend my heart, all right? All right, well, it's good to see you guys this morning. Um, I had made a, uh, an announcement last week that I was going to have surgery done on my brain. And for some people, it's like, it's about time, but but it's a, it's a good thing from the from the diagnosis that uh, that the doctor spoke over me in 2016, and um, some of the things going on. I'm going to have uh, some brain surgery done on September 1st, and um, and then I'm going back in for an outpatient deal on September 8th, and so I I, I talked to you all about that. I don't want to re- recover that. Uh, if you have any questions, ask somebody around you or ask me later on. Uh, but the but the thing about it is, is I have asked um, me personally if my family, you all, would pray over me before I go in. So we have come to the deal next Sunday, August 28th, at 5 o'clock in the afternoon from 5 to 6. We're going to meet here at the church. Uh, for some of you, I know that's a drive, but if you would like to come, uh, I just, I'm asking my family for prayer. Because I know the power that works in this family. And in that, yes, in that, I want, I want you guys to pray over me. So uh, I told Lynette, I said, I feel really funny asking people to, you know, congregate to pray. It's all about me. But, uh, you know, when I go in that surgery room, it's going to be all about me. 
and the doctors that are around me. And so I don't really care if you pray over me, pray over them. They're the ones in, in charge of that room in there. So anyways, um, next, next Sunday, um, we're calling it, I think we're calling it just pre-op prayer for me. And it'll be at, from 5 to 6 p.m. on, um, and we'll just meet here in the main auditorium and uh, no child care or anything like that. Just bring your kids. I'll, I don't care. We're, we're just going to gather up and pray. Is that all right? And I'm going to gather up and receive because it's going to be good. So I wanted to let you all in on that. You'll hear more about that as we go along. So last week, I started a brand new series for the, from, from 2020 uh, till just uh, earlier this year. I had stopped preaching series-type messages you know, where there's two or three in a series, three or four. I've even done as many as seven um, weeks in a series and things like that. But um, God kind of released me to start doing series again. Amen? (laughs) So what that means is when you get involved in a series, now you're stuck and you have to come back for every one of them. So I'm, I'm thankful for that. So now you're stuck. We're in week two. We're going to do a three-part series. We started a three-part series last week called 316. And, and in that, you know, I, I um, uh, kind of bailed off the diving board, so to speak, on the scripture, the, probably the most famous 316 scripture, and that is John 316. So this is what it says. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him, would not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen? You heard that before? Who's heard that before? Okay, better yet, who has never heard that before? All right, that's my point. You have heard that. That is, that is a, a scripture that has entered into what I call pop culture. Popular culture recognizes John 3.16 out of 30,000 verses in the Bible, John 3.16 is probably the most famous scripture in the Bible, right? I mean, Billy Graham has talked about it. Tim Tebow has talked about it. I think, you know, I always thought that Tim Tebow wrote that verse. (laughs) And he did. He wrote it on his eye black when they beat the Oklahoma Sooners, when the Florida Gators beat the Oklahoma Sooners for the championship in 2009. And I really did not like Timmy. But he was a Christian, so I couldn't speak bad about him. Even though I had things in my heart, I had to forgive. But uh, a few years ago, I had the opportunity to go hear him live, and he's a pretty good kid. So much, much like myself. So, um, so as, as John 3.16 has become the most popular verse in our culture, I wondered, because there are 66 books in the Bible, I wondered, are there any more 316s, chapter 3, verse 16s throughout the, the, the 66 books of the Bible, are we missing that have a hidden power behind them? And just like John 3.16 has this hidden uh, piece to it that will bring salvation into our lives. Because it talks about God giving Jesus to die on the cross for our sin. God loved us so much that he gave his only son. I have one son. And that son, I would not kill for any one of you. That's why God's love is so much greater than my love. 
And, and if, I can, if I can just grab a sliver of God's love, it changes everything. If we can just grab a sliver of God's love, it would change everything. Amen? Amen? I, I love it when, when we get a hold of those things. Because when we get a hold of those things, people get set free, delivered, healed. Uh, relationships are restored. Yeah. So that's, that's what I love about God's love. And so I, I was thinking, well, what about the other three sixteens of the Bible? There, there's um, only 23 books throughout that 66 books that have a chapter 3, verse 16. In the Old Testament, there's only 11. In the New Testament, there are 12 books that have chapter 3 and verse 16. So I kind of started pushing through those things and seeing what kind of messages and what kind of power is hidden in the other three sixteens um, of the Bible, especially in the, New, in the New Testament. So last week I talked about Matthew 3.16. If you weren't here, um, I talked about Matthew 3.16, and Matthew 3.16 is where Jesus went down to be baptized. He was 30 years old went down to be baptized by John the Baptist, who was his cousin. And when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming to the, to the Jordan to be baptized by him, um, John said, no, 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 no. You don't, you don't come to me for baptism. I have to come to you. John recognized him. He said, behold the Lamb of God who is slain for the sin of the world. And Jesus said, no, we got to make this right. The, every, we need to do what God has ordained to be right. Because what, what Jesus wanted to do by being baptized is set a standard for the people who needed to be baptized. He didn't need to be baptized, but he willingly was baptized so that we have a standard to follow when we ask Jesus to be the Lord of our life. When you ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life, the next step that, that I believe you should do is an outward expression of an inward change, and that would be the expression of baptism. Physically, it's getting somewhere, being immersed, and being brought up. And, you know, there's, there's some religions out there that said that you just have to be sprinkled. Let me tell you something. When somebody dies... You don't want to take them to the cemetery and not dig a hole and just sprinkle them with dirt. Because give it a few days and they will, that's not the point. The point is, is you bury them. You immerse them in the dirt, right? Well, that's what, that's what baptism is. It's about getting in the water. Listen, listen to this, um, listen to this verse here um, in Romans chapter six, and we read this last week, verses three through five in the message translation says, that's what baptism into, into the life of Jesus means. When we are lowered into the water, it's like the burial of Jesus. When we are raised up out of the water, it is like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light filled world by our father so that we can see where we're going in our new grace. So it's about immersion. It's about going below and coming up. Um, some churches, some denominations teach that you, uh, that you would be baptized into their denomination or being baptized into their church. 
And that if you leave their church and you come back, you have to be rebaptized into their church or their church denomination. That's not what it is. It's not about the church being baptized into the denomination. It's about being baptized into Jesus. And that's what we teach here. When you get baptized here, you don't become a member of our church. We feel like that you're already family. But when you get baptized here, you're getting baptized into Jesus. You're not getting baptized into Northern Colorado Cowboy Church or Cowboy Church of any sort. Amen? Because I'm not God. (laughs) That should have been a big amen right there. (laughs) Thank God I'm not God. And so that's, that's what I talked about last weekend. I believe that's just one of those steps after the... Uh, let me just say this real quick. Baptism does not save you. You get saved by believing that Jesus is Lord. Amen? Confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. That's what saves you. Baptism is just the outward expression of the inward change. When the, the thief on the cross next to Jesus said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember that story? Remember me when you come into that into your kingdom. Jesus didn't say, okay, I'll remember you, but let's get off the cross here and go get baptized. Because you're really not saved and you're really not worthy of the kingdom of God unless you get baptized. It has nothing to do with salvation other than you're making a public profession of your faith Amen. in the waters of Jesus. Amen? So that's what... I talked about last week. So, this week, what is next? And I, and I find that this series is taking on kind of an order of our Christianity, an order of our walk of Christianity. And so, um, that's, that's what questions I begin to ask as I was studying these things, is what comes next in our faith? What comes next in our Christianity? And I am so glad you all asked that question. Because last week I talked about Tim Tebow. I'm talking about another Tim today. So if you have your Bibles, would you go over to 2 Timothy chapter 3? 2 Timothy chapter 3. And, and um, this chapter, I believe, um, it, is, it is one of, the, um, of, one of, one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. I love to, to read this and this chapter and then... Um, teach on things that are in this chapter. It's profound to me, and I love it. Because um, this uh, book of the Bible is actually a letter written from the Apostle Paul when he was in prison in Rome to Timothy, his son in the faith. It was, it was Paul's spiritual son that he's, he's writing this letter to. Because Timothy is the lead pastor. He is the senior pastor of the church at Ephesus, where we get the book of Ephesians from. Ephesus was in, it, it was, it's in modern day Turkey now. Um, <clears throat> so it's really, it's really being ruled in a strong Muslim feel in that country now. But back then, this, this place was Greek ruled. Um, and so the, the Greeks had um, their, all their gods and all that, the mythology and all that kind of stuff there. And so uh, when Paul and Timothy established this church in Ephesus, Paul set him, Timothy, to be the lead pastor or the bishop over the church at Ephesus. Um, as things turned out, later on down the line, Jesus' mother Mary, when she left, when she ran out of Jerusalem 
because the Romans were destroying Jerusalem. When she left Israel, she went to Ephesus and was serving and attended church under Pastor Timothy. Bishop. He was a bishop. The Bible says that he was a bishop, which is basically the lead pastor. He's the overseer. He's the apostle of that church. So, so Timothy gets this letter from Paul, and Paul is encouraging him because, um, because it's about, they established this church, and this letter was written about 33 years after the resurrection of Jesus. So it's been 33 years. Uh, Paul is seeing that the church, the first church that started in Acts chapter 2, is already 33 years in, and it's already set, it's already declining. The new has worn off of church. I know all about that because we started this church. Uh, like, like Kelsey said a while ago, we started over in Fort Collins, and, and when they came, we had about 20 or 30 people, and it was an exciting time. I remember moving to a barn out here just um, due, uh, east, due west of here, and we had church in the barn. So you'll, you know, if you're new here, you probably have heard people talk about uh, church in the barn and all that kind of stuff. That's where we exploded. We took 40 people from Fort Collins, moved into that barn over there, started having church on Tuesday and Sunday. We went, in, in three years, we went from 40 people to, to almost 400 people. Amen. And, and so it was, it was a great thing. And then, and then we kind of saw a decline. We, I remember one Easter, the first Easter that we were here in this, in this building, we had three services and over a thousand people come through our doors during that time. And, and so, but, you know, years down the line, I feel like the, the new has worn off of it to some degree. And that's what happens with everything. Everything is that way. Amen. So, so Paul writes this letter and he's encouraging Timothy to stay relevant in connecting people with the word of God. He, that's what this whole letter is about. And you can go back and read all of that. So here we are, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Are you ready? We're gonna, I'm going to start at verse 13 because I believe you've got to get the context of the Scripture. So this is, this is the context of the Scripture. Verse 13, it says, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says, But evil people and impostors will flourish. They will deceive others and will, and will themselves be deceived. But you, Timothy must remain faithful to the things that you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the, you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from, from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, All Scripture is inspired by God and is... Uh, is in, I lost my place. Sorry. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word this morning, and God, just as, as we are pushing into that word this morning, God, I pray that your grace and your mercy would prepare us, would, would help us to receive your words this morning that change our hearts, to change our minds, and to change the direction 
to the only true direction, Jesus Christ and him crucified. God, I thank you so much for what you do in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So when I started this whole preaching thing, or, or when I, I'll just put it this way, I'll go back even further. When I started this whole Christianity thing, I mean, I grew up in church. I, I got saved in the church that uh, I grew up in at five years old. I, I, got, I went and asked Jesus to come in my heart. But at 17, I left that church because I saw the humanity take place in that church, and I didn't know how to handle that as a 17-year-old. So I walked away from church uh, to experience life. And, you know, when you go to college, sometimes you, you, experience, you experience life, right? Yeah. Three of you holy ones spoke up. <clears throat> you know what I mean. But I, I left and experienced some life. I come back to the things of God at about 23 or 24 years old. Um, and, and from 1992 until 1997, I was in the, in the place of cutting my spiritual true Christian teeth. Because at 24, I, I came back to Jesus and began to immerse myself in the Word of God. I began, I began a love affair with the Word of God. Amen? And so in that, um, I cut my, my teeth, my spiritual teeth, on the Word of Faith um, preachers, Word of Faith preachers. That'd be Kenneth Hagin and, and Kenneth Copeland and Jerry Savelle and Charles Capps, man, I, 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 I dug that, man. It was so good because they were saying things that I had never heard before. They had said things about faith that I never knew before. I thought faith was just believing in God. Yes, that is faith, but there's more to it than that. And so I began to learn about the, uh, begin to learn about the faith of God. And for eight years and, and, for eight years, I was hearing those things. So when God called Lynette and I to <clears throat> start this church, we took all of that learning that we had and we put it into, into preaching at church. We taught on faith. We taught people how the word of faith works. And we did that for about two or three years. And two or three years, the new wore off of that. Because I'd preached everything that I knew probably twice or three times in two years. And I thought, God, what else is there? You know, I'm, I'm that good. I, I preached all your word. <clears throat> the Bible says, preach the whole counsel of God. I, man, I, I preach the whole counsel of God. Now I got to start over. And <clears throat> I didn't think I was a novice in the word of God. But it was re revealed that I was. I didn't know any more than that. So I had to come to a place where I had to ask God for more. I had to ask God to reveal his word like he's never revealed it before. Lynette and I both have, have had to ask God more. And you know what God did? He gave you more. <laughs> oh, God, answer my prayer. All right, here you go. And so... So we, we, were, we were preaching everything we knew. And as I read this story about Timothy, and I, I love Timothy's story, um, as, I, as I read about that and studied his life, he had been, 
here where this, this book is, Second Timothy is written from, well, he was about 10 years into being the senior pastor or the lead pastor of the church at Ephesus. And I can't imagine him, you know, the church was a new thing. Church hadn't been done before. And so here he is 10 years in. I don't know if he said, well, Paul, I preached everything you told me. And Paul says, I'm encouraging you to keep, keep moving, keep pressing forward. Look at this verse 16, 2 Timothy 3.16. He says here, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. The Apostle Paul was telling Timothy, he was saying, you know, it's important to have a firm grip on the Word of God uh, as times move forward. Because what he was moving forward in, what Timothy was moving forward in, is the progress of regress. Because regressive, the church was regressing but he was having to move forward knowing that the church was regressing and bring a relevant message and bring a relevant um, spirit of God to the whole thing that he had been given. Does that make sense? Paul was saying to him, Timothy, you've got to stay in the word of God. As I was studying this out, I found that <clears throat> Timothy probably took, uh, probably took over that church when he was about 40 years old. Here we are 10 years later when the Apostle Paul is writing this to him. He's 50 years old. <clears throat> Timothy was martyred when he was 80. So not only did, had he already been teaching this for 10 years, he goes on for another 30. At the words of the Apostle Paul writing this letter to him. Does that make sense to you all? He was martyred in the, in the streets. He was martyred in the streets of Ephesus because he was a pastor that went out and stood in front of a, of a parade of idol worship to Princess Diana, the Greek god. <laughs> not, not the one, in, not, not that one, not, not that one. <clears throat> He's a Greek god. And he got in front of them and started preaching the gospel and they beat him to death. That's how Timothy died, but he was passionate about his, about his job. <clears throat> you know, in his day, is, is much like what our day is like. Things, things in our, our world, times are getting worse, right? You know, our government, <clears throat> I ain't going to go there. Our society, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Our society, our government, even our churches are being affected by the times of regress. And it's up to us, it's up to all of us who are in the Word of God to allow the Word of God to begin the thing that moves forward and turns the regress into progress. So I'd rather progress in progress than anything, right? <clears throat> So I, I want to I go back a little bit in this chapter, and I want to go back to verse 1, because this is, this is what Timothy is dealing with here in Ephesus. And I think the other churches were dealing with the same thing that Paul started. 
But this is, this is the one here that Paul writes here. Uh, this is from the New King James, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. It says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. The word perilous there means difficult and harsh times. Sound familiar? He said these perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, dis- uh, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Does that sound familiar? I mean, we can turn on CNN. Don't turn on CNN. But the fact of the matter is, we can turn on CNN. We can turn on any news network, even in social media. We're going to see that all these things are happening now. But did you know that what this is being described, what Paul is describing to Timothy, is not about the world. It's about the church. These things are happening in the church. Verse 5 says this, having the form or the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. These things are going on in the church during his time. And he says, it is um, an appearance. It is a form of godliness. That's what tips us into the Christian walk. That's what uh, tips us over into Christianity, the church that Paul is talking about here. He said they're having a form of godliness, but they are denying its power. And then he goes on and says, from such people turn away. The apostle Paul was telling Timothy, man, if you even feel like you're being, if you're maxed out in the word, if you're maxed out in what you're seeing or reading in the word, if the word is trying to grow cold on you because you think you know it all, if you've maxed yourself out, he says, stay hooked to the word of God. Stay hooked. There's more. There's more. If you think you know it all in the Bible and you've been to theology school and you've got all this stuff, all this knowledge and all this kind of thing, you haven't even scratched the surface yet of what the Word of God says. And I'm not pointing fingers at you because I haven't even scratched the surface of what the Scriptures reveal. And we've been doing this for 22 years. There in in, uh, verse 13 of that same chapter, Paul starts, or Paul says this to, to, to Timothy. He says, but evil people and imposters will flourish and they will, um, they will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. We live in the social media age, right? I mean, there, there was, I mean, 10 years ago, we didn't even really have a grasp of what we know now and social media and all the different platforms and all those kinds of things of social media. And in this social media age, one of the things that I have found that's like when I get on Facebook and start going through there, every two or three 
post that someone puts, the Facebook gives me someone trying to sell me something, trying to sell vitamins, trying to sell workouts, trying to sell yoga. I mean, they're, and, and the, the way they're doing this is they um, get people who have some kind of influence or think they have some kind of influence. And that we're living in this social media age called the age of influence. The, and people are trying to be influencers because if you can become a social media influencer, you can get paid for telling somebody to eat some crazy seaweed or something like that. So this is, this is what a social influencer is, social media influencer is. This is a, uh, or what an influencer is. It says, someone in a market or industry with sway over their target audience, having specialized knowledge, authority, or insight into a specific subject. So that's what an influencer is. But did you know you don't even have to be an expert now in social media? You can just be a pretty face. You can just be a six-pack app guy. You, you know, you can be uh, a loudmouth and hold up some kind of gummy in front of people and they'll buy it and make you money. Right? So, and, and here's the deal. I, it's not a bad thing. I know that maybe some, some people in here, maybe you may be even an influencer on social media. It's not a bad thing. It's just what it is. But this is what I saw the Apostle Paul saying to Timothy. He was saying, there is a sway of evil men and imposters that are in the church. Hello? Because what they're doing is they're targeting our faith. Imposters and evil people. Now, you know, they may not even have the intention of doing that, but what they're doing and what their, their criticism and their critique is being influenced. I've had people leave the church that are close to me and take people with them because they're influencing people who don't know better. I'm not going to name any names, but that's the fact. That's the fact, Jack. Paul is saying there's, there's going to be evil men and imposters targeting our faith. And, and in verse 14 and 15, he goes on, and I'm not going to read it. Uh, you can do it yourself. But it says, uh, the, the apostle Paul is saying, stay with the principles of your faith, Timothy. The things that you've learned and the people that have taught you these things, stay with that. Stay with the truth that you learned in the word of God. Stay with the truth that your mama and your grandmama talk to you about because Timothy was his dad was Greek his mother was a Jew and his grandmother and his mother all converted to Christianity says nothing about his dad but the fact of the matter is he's saying Paul I mean Timothy remember those who have put the good stuff into you remember what they taught you and remember who they are remember the trust that you had as they talked to you about the word of God and he says here <clears throat> in verse 16, this is the John, I mean, uh, uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16, it says again, all scripture is inspired by God. 
And this is what I've learned. Is that word inspired, all of the scripture, every scripture in this book has been inspired. That means God breathed. There is nothing in this Bible that God did not breathe into somebody, a writer, um, a, a preacher, a bishop. God inspired, God breathed every word. And, and let me tell you something. What, what you got to understand is this, this scripture is placed in what we call the New Testament, Right? But when Paul said this to Timothy, the New Testament had not even been compiled yet. So the Apostle Paul is totally talking about the Old Testament that was, teaching, that was being taught. Now, as the New Testament come in, um, somebody taught me one time that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. So as as, as this is being um, compiled in the New Testament, Timothy was preaching the salvation of Jesus from the Old Testament. There was no John 3.16 at that moment. Maybe Isaiah 3.16 or something like that, you know. That's what he was preaching. That's what he put under his eye black. <laughs> Isaiah 3.16. And tens of ten people came to the revelation. <laughs> he said, all scripture is inspired or God breathed. So we, we have this tension in our day and time of the influencers versus the inspirers. The, the, the word influence there Influence, this is what I need you to know about influence. Influence is only good and effective until something new or better comes along. I mean, they, they may sell you vitamins on Facebook, but in a month or two, there's going to be a new person with a prettier face, with a better figure, with the abs, all that kind of stuff, that's going to be selling you some other, more, better, different, and they're, and they're trying to influence you into buying their stuff. But it's all going to change in a matter of time. <clears throat> However, inspiration, inspiration has the ability to create and imprint things that, that are established and expand them and they never cease. The Word of God is inspired. It's been created. It's been told. It's been spoken. And it never grows old. Are you hearing me? It never grows old. Some people may say today in, in colleges and schools and other places that we're influenced from, they're going to say that the Bible's an ancient book and, and it doesn't apply to us anymore. Because it was a book that was written in the Middle East and, and it's 2,000 years old and all this kind of stuff. No. It does not cease. It does not run out. Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago to Timothy, and it still 
has the same power on it when we read it and believe it by faith. That's what inspiration is all about. It's about opening the door to your faith. It's about faith. When you read the Word of God, it's about faith. Because it isn't. It is an ancient book. It has got ancient words in it. But the thing about it is, it takes faith to read this. It takes faith to believe this. It takes faith to open the door for inspiration to change your heart. I love the word grace in the, in the Bible because the definition of the word grace actually means divine influence on the heart. Grace is divine influence. But you cannot operate in that divine influence unless you've been inspired. Inspiration gives you the faith to receive the grace of influence. Influence in itself never brings inspiration. But inspiration always brings lasting influence. Can we say that again? Influence in itself never brings inspiration. But inspiration always brings lasting influence. So if the scripture is God inspiration, grace is God influence. And, cha- and then in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is faith, the inspiration, that brought grace of salvation and influenced us to have salvation and, and walk out this salvation as a Christian. Boy, it's getting awful quiet in this Lutheran church. The Apostle Paul here is writing to Timothy, and he is, he is allow, he's telling Timothy, don't allow influence to flood the church. Don't allow influence to flood the church, because if you do, it'll drown the inspiration of the word. So if we're just if we're just you know being influenced, there is no power in that unless you have the inspiration of the Word of God that that drives our faith, which helps us be influenced by His Word. But inspired Scripture, that God breathed Scripture, will always influence our direction of where we're going as a Christian. Every day, every day. I, I encourage you every day, if you'll just pick up this book or get an app with this book on it and listen to it, read it, whatever, if you will start your day with this, and man, I'm as guilty as anyone to grab my phone first thing in the morning and look at how many notifications I've got. But I'm saying if we'll make this first every day, it will give you the inspiration to carry your day out. That's what I love about the, the, the book of Proverbs. 
There are 31 Proverbs. There's a proverb for every day of the, of the month, every day of the week. There is a proverb there. And Proverbs is the wisdom that we need to be inspired, to allow influence of the word to come into our lives and change the way we walk, change the way we talk. So from, from this 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, I want to give you from that scripture, I want to give you four elements of scripture that guides our Christianity. You ready? Four elements that guide, uh, of inspiration that guide our Christianity. Number one, he says there in, in, the, in, in verse 16, he says that the word of God is useful to teach us what is true. It's useful to teach us what is true. The word that the New King James uses there is a, is a word called doctrine. It gives us the doctrine of truth. So, so what, is, what is that truth? What is the doctrine of truth that he's talking about here? Truth, um, truth regulates our behavior and our thought. So when we dig into the scripture, it inspires, it, God is inspiring us to go for the doctrine of truth, that truth that regulates our behavior and, and our thought, the way that we think, the way that we do things, the way that we talk to other people, the way that we interact, the way that we relate. Are you with me? The word of God helps us to do that on a daily basis. <clears throat> And, and I have had more than one phone call in my time in 22 years of people saying, what is the doctrine of your church? Well, I'll just give you the doctrine of our church. I ain't coming up with something real big and fancy. We believe that Jesus is the son of God. We believe that he was born of a virgin. We believe he died on the cross. And we believe that he was resurrected from the dead. And that God has given us the Holy Spirit to empower us to become a part of this word. Because we believe this is true and it is inspired by God, whether I like it or whether I don't. You have the luxury of having all different colors of highlighters that Office Max can sell you. But the one highlighter that does not work in here is a black Sharpie. Whether you like this word that God has given you or you don't like this word that God has given you, it is still the inspiration that can bring freedom to your life. Because it is truth. It is truth. I'll get more of that in a minute. Number two, it makes us realize what is wrong in our lives. It makes us realize what is wrong in our lives. It, it points out, just like <clears throat> driving down the highway in a 55-mile-an-hour zone and putting your Sammy Hagar on and saying, I can't drive 55, i got to go 85. Hello? <laughs> there is law that says you're wrong. <laughs> and I don't care if you need to get somewhere. If you get stopped, there is no excuse. There's only a fine because the word of God makes us realize 
at some point, whether it's a sign or whether it's a person with a badge on, that the law has been broken at that point and you are in the middle of it. The the New King James gives the word reproof. The word reproof means... um, the light of it means that the light of evidence illuminates the truth of conviction. Lynette and I, well, I, I'll say I, she goes along with it. On Friday and Saturday night, if we're not watching UFC fight, um, we're, we're watching like Dateline or 48 Hours or something like that. I love that kind of mystery shows. And invariably, the last half of those shows, it shows the crime, and then it shows the person being in a courtroom for the crime. They have now realized that they have done something wrong. Because the court lays out, the court lays out, you know, the lawyers lay out the law that they broke, and now the conviction that they now have. And that conviction usually means going to prison for life or death row. The Word of God is no different. It shows us what's right and wrong. Well, brother, I just read the Bible to find out what's right. If you read long enough, you'll find out what's wrong because you don't fit into right. And the Bible says that Jesus is our advocate. And the devil is the one trying to get you a life sentence to his thing, not God's thing. So it's, it's the, the truth of conviction is what reproof is. It's kind of got a courtroom situation to it. So I'll go on. Number three, it corrects when we are wrong. So not only do we realize, now there's a correction that takes place. It corrects us. It tells us what we can do right when, when we are wrong. This word, it corrects when we are wrong, it means it restores one to an upright state of faith. It restores one to an upright state of faith. It, when, when we use the word of God right, it brings us to a place where the truth begin, The truth takes away the wrong that we did. It takes away the wrong and then makes us right. See, God don't want to see you go to the prison of the enemy. Even though we have done may, may have done something that was wrong and we realize our wrong that we've done, now we go to God, we go to his word. His word says, I'm going to make you righteous. And the only way you can be right, you can't be righteous in yourself. The only way you can be righteous is to know what Jesus has done on the cross and that he is the one who trades, he's the one who traded you're wrong so that you can be made right through him. There were two instances in the Old Testament sacrifice um, or two, two different representations. There was, the, there was the, um, the sacrifice of the goat and the sacrifice of the lamb. The thing about it is you study into that, you, what you'll see is when they sacrificed the goat, it was for the sin you had committed when they sacrificed the lamb, it would take care of all the sin that you would commit because we're not perfect and we're still working out our salvation, right? Amen. Yes. So he's got it covered. God's got it covered. He's got it covered. 
Because he takes away our wrong and makes it right when we realize it. It takes us realizing it first, right? Number four, it teaches us to do what is right. So not only does it make us right, then it teaches us to stay on that right. It restores one to an upright state. I'm sorry, I hit the wrong one. This uh, teaches us to do right. This word in the New King James says it's instruction. This word instruction has two pieces to it, two elements to that. The first element, it it says, um, you know, the instruction is given to training children. You can train children according to this. Got to listen, okay? (laughs) Training children by... Instruction is training children by cultivating their mind and morals by correction and punishment. Well, you know, it's, 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 they're just babies. They're just babies. They don't, need, they don't need harsh punishment. You know what? The Bible says, your, your Bible says that in Proverbs, you go read it and find it. Um, spare the rod and no spool. That's not in there. You spare the rod, you hate your child, is what the Bible says. That's a pucker factor right there. If you spare the rod, you hate your child. My mama and daddy love me. And the problem is, is we're seeing a lot of hating going on in our world. I I love my kids a lot. We, we had a thing, I got to hurry. We, we had a thing called the spank stick. And it was a leather dog and bat about this long. Had a lot of flex to it. Then I had these little fiberglass rods that would go in it and kind of beef it up a little bit as they got older. So it still had some swing, but it had some follow through, man. I mean, you could stop back here and still hit the butt, you know. <laughs> that was the best. Yeah, Rhett, Rhett's all traumatized. <clears throat> but he felt my love. And um, he's a good boy for it. Amen. So let me, let me go on the second part of this, the second part of this word instruction here. The second part is um, for adults. So adults, um, this instruction to do what is right is for adults by cultivating the soul the soul is the mind, will, and emotion. So it changes our inside, thought, heart, and, and the way that we express ourselves. It cultivates the soul by correcting mistakes and curbing passions. That's what it's all about. The reason that we sin so many times, the reason we sin is because we have a passion for whatever is not of God. And so when we come through this process of what the Word of God does for us, it corrects those things that are right, and it helps us beef up our soul, mind, will, and emotions, to help cultivate on the inside of us the correction of the mistakes by curbing our passions. That's what the Word of God is all about, guys. How important is that? 
He said it's instruction in righteousness. The word righteousness means increases moral goodness or virtue. It increases integrity, purity, and promotes healthy thinking, healthy feeling, and healthy behavior. That's why the Word of God... The Word of God is just not a bunch of chapters and verses and and getting my time in. I, God, even as a pastor, I've been guilty of just putting my time in. I'll read one chapter today. And we bust through it so fast that we don't get anything out of it so that we can get onto our social media or something else. We are all born corrupt in a corrupt world. So we're all going to deal with these things. And that's why we need the truth of the, of the Scripture. That's why we need to be inspired by this, this Word. Amen? In John chapter 1, verse 1, and I'm, I'm starting to wind down here. John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What do you suppose the Word is? It's, it's Jesus. It, but this, it's, it's this Word. It's this Bible. It's what is written in the Scripture. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John, 14, or John 1, 14 says, And the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word is is Jesus who brings the inspiration of grace, the influence to truth. It's truth. This Word is truth. Amen? Amen? Jesus is the Word of God, full of grace and truth. This is a huge, huge thing in our society today. This is why society is going in the direction it's going. Because there are teachers of our kids. There are uh, uh, college professors. There's the government. There's social media. There's all these things, all these influences, these evil man and imposters in the church. There's all these things that that are here and driving this word truth. Because what they're saying is that there is no absolute truth. And the dodos who are saying that are making an absolute statement. What they don't know is they're painting themselves. They don't even know the truth when they say there's no absolute truth. Or or they say something along the lines of, you know, live by your own truth. That is a dangerous, dangerous thing. To, to live by what you think is true outside of the Word of God. That's why these guys that are these imposters and stuff, these evil men and imposters that, are, that Paul is talking about, it says that they not only deceive people, but they deceive themselves because they're living by their truth. Well, I think the Word of God says this. Or I think the Word of God is an old ancient scripture that doesn't apply today. Did you all know this is the best-selling book of all times ever? I mean, even, even Joel Osteen ain't got nothing on that, you know. He sold a lot of books. Or Danielle Steele or 
John Grisham or whatever. This is the best-selling book because this is truth. This is absolute truth. Jesus said in his final prayer to God for us, in John 17, 17, he said to God, he says, sanctify them by your truth because your word is truth. I'll say this in close. Christianity is a life of faith. When you, when you ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, when you come to the, the relationship with, with Jesus, when, when, you, when you come to those things, you become a Christian. And when you become a Christian, you become a person of faith. And you may not get everything that's in this book, but your faith will begin to show you everything in this book. <clears throat> and our faith is only, in, only advanced by the word. This is the only way that our faith is advanced is when we put ourselves and 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 position ourselves that this is the truth that I live by. Romans 10:17 says this. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The faith that you have that you have been given only comes by hearing the word of God. You get that? But he goes one step further. He says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Go you one further. In the grammar of the Greek, these words, hearing and hearing are continued hearing. So faith, your faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing hearing by the word of God. So the more you hear it, the more you put yourself into a place where you hear it and 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 hear it. The inspiration begins to come so that it becomes alive in you. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So with bearless times bearing down on us, I mean, I can't tell you how many people said, we are in the last of the last days. I've said it myself. We are in the last of the last days. Perilous, harsh, difficult times are here. (laughs) And <laughs> they're getting harsher and more difficulter. We, in those things, we need more inspiration. We need more inspiration. And what that means is we are all, as Christians, as children of God, as sons and daughters, need to make this book a standard. It's a standard to who we are. It's a standard to who our kids are. It's a standard to the next generation. And it's a standard to the former generation. It has to be that because this is what inspires us. This is what makes us or gives us the ability, the divine influence to walk out this Christian walk.
we need the Word of God. Because all Scripture, all Scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives and it corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Second Timothy 3.16 Amen? <clears throat> I encourage you guys to get into the Word of God. Make it a standard. Make it a habit. Somebody told me one time, addiction is not in the Bible. It is in the Bible. It's in Proverbs chapter 4. And it says that we need to incline our ear to the Word of God. See, the closest word to addiction that's in the Bible is this Hebrew word called incline. We don't recline because that gets us away from things. We incline. And when we incline into the Word of God, it changes everything. It changes everything about your now. It changes everything about your future. And it changes the generations in which you teach. Exactly what Paul told Timothy. Remember what your mama taught you. Remember what your mama and your grandmama taught you. Because they had the truth, and it's the truth that you need to get through the perilous times that you're in. Amen? Amen. Let me pray over you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for each and every person that's here. God, I pray in Jesus' name that for those that are here listening and those that are online listening, Father, I pray in Jesus' name that we would have the uh, revelation of who Jesus is. Jesus, you gave us who you are by dying on that cross. And right now, in Jesus' name, if you've never received what Jesus did on the cross. You've never gave your life to Jesus because he died on that cross and he was resurrected for you. And if you've never received that resurrection power, now is the time to do it because Jesus is looking on that cross. He's just like he looked at that guy beside him. He's looking us in the eye. He has locked eyes with us and he's saying, will you come and follow me? Will you come and follow me? All you got to do is say yes and then follow him. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for every person that's here. I pray that their hearts are right before you. And, God, I thank you for those that are saying yes for the first time right now, saying yes for, for, for the first time. God, I pray that in that yes, that their whole, their whole mind, their whole thought, their whole direction be changes from this point to say yes and to become a follower of Jesus. If you've never said yes before, say it now. If you have said yes in the past and got away from the things of God, then all you got to do is get back in. All you got to do is say yes again. Forgive me, Father. Forgive me, Jesus. But I want to get back in this thing. And you know what? Jesus has enough grace on the inside of him to pick you up right where you're at and take you forward. So if you need to say yes again, say yes again. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Father, I thank you for the lives that are changed today. I thank you for those that are saying yes, those who have said yes, and those who are continuing to say yes to you and to follow you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.